Well, it doesn't actually even really matter if we actually know what we're talking about because we're almost always talking about the same things here uh, on the business angle. Justin Angle, doing a little late night recording with us. You're listening on a Tuesday. We're doing this Monday night post show. He just happened to be on this side of town. So said, swing on by. Let's uh, let's bust it out. Uh, first of all, great job the other uh, weekend at the uh, at the Wilma, man. Oh, I, thanks. It, it was yeah. cool seeing you up on stage. And I was with my buddy. I was like, I know that guy. Right. Uh, we, we, it was a book reader reading for uh, David James Duncan's new novel, Sun House, which uh, just the brief passages that he read sounds like just an epic opus it's wonderful uh but the uh the the first hour was a a q a with you and and one of your other uh radio colleagues as well as uh, the author himself uh an equally challenging and fascinating interview i think because david james junkin you could tell very much did not like really being sort of the, the, the under the spotlight in the center of the Wilma stage. You could also tell he's at the same time a very uh, brilliant and scattered guy, which is not that surprising for a you know world-renowned author like himself. But uh, he got him into the flow, and he once he settled in, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd go so far to say he, he didn't like being in the spotlight. Um, I I think he. He does plenty of, of speaking, mm-hmm. a lot of ad- advocacy work and activism work. But, you know, he put this is his first novel in 31 years and Crazy, worked on it for right? 16 years. So I think there was a, a level of um, not so much nervousness, but the, but a real sort of feeling of um, pouring your life into it in many ways for sure. and having some apprehension about how that work would be received. Um, you know, and I also think like, you spend that much time as a writer. It's kind of a, an individual pursuit and um, like b- being on stage in the spotlight has just got to be to some degree uncomfortable. No, for sure. And I mean, you know, you, you, you gave me a copy of your new book that's going to be out soon. This is wildfire is what the title is. It's an extension of the, uh, the great fireline podcast that uh, you and Nick Mott put together. Um, the most fascinating part, I don't want to spend too much time on David James Duncan, but he really is a, an interesting figure to me. He talked about how so often so many writers, they they want to temper the characters within their own story or yeah. they want to control them rather than letting the characters control the author. He also talked about how most writers just want their book to be done and how he didn't want to because he was having so much fun and, and so much uh sort of gratification from hanging out with these characters that he's created over the yeah. last 16 years. I was thinking to myself, man, I've written so many words and I've written so much stuff and I've only been doing this for 17 years and he worked on one thing for almost that entire time. The patience they would have to do that is, is unreal. Well, even beyond that, I mean, he he basically has been, and he, and he said this, that I don't know if this was on stage or in our in our preparations, but... He said he's been working on the same story his entire life. Right. And that, you know, if you look at Sunhouse and the Brothers K and the River Y, his three novels, they're really 17 novellas. Right. And he said he's never really dedicated the time to it, but and I don't want to quote him directly, but something along the lines of it wouldn't be too hard to tie all these characters together. Mm. So there's some... Even within the 16 years of toiling right. on a single book, there's a, a broader arc of how this whole host of characters and themes tie together. And, and to me, that's just so amazing to to think that that level of complexity can be held in a single brain. Justin Angle here at the ESPN MT studio with us here on this Monday evening. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. 
I, I said, I said, it doesn't matter if we actually know what we're talking about because you had never heard of the Sugar Show. You'd never heard of Sean O'Malley. Right, yeah. uh, Sean O'Malley took at least a certain portion of the world by storm on Saturday night. He became the first UFC champion ever from Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it in thrilling fashion with a second round knockout of Aljamain Sterling, who's widely considered the greatest bantamweight in UFC history. Uh, the highlights obviously went viral anytime you have a knockout like that. But this just adds already to the the sort of rapid rise of this kid. The UFC has pinned him as one of their sort of main stars. And then he does this in his first title fight ever. It's at the Boston Garden. Wow. He, you know, he, he's Sean O'Malley. And so what you do got, you say, like seven-minute knockout? Yeah, I mean, it was two minutes, less than two minutes into the second round. Wow. You know, and... And then you throw in the fact that he's got the multicolored hair and he's probably the biggest proponent outwardly of cannabis of any professional <laughs> athlete. And he's got he's one of the only guys that's got endorsement deals from weed companies. And, sure. you know, he's got this take no prisoners attitude. He's got the Irish flow. He's like Conor McGregor reincarnate kind of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think this kid has the opportunity now to to really see his star rise completely into the stratosphere. He's going to be the face of the UFC after what happened on Saturday night. And the fact that he's from Helena, Montana is pretty cool. But it's also a weird dynamic because this guy's world famous, and yet he's only sort of fringe famous in Montana. Yeah, and that sort of is, is I think it's less about the being fringe famous in Montana and just the notion that you, know, you can be white hot famous to a certain segment of the population. That's and, right. And completely unknown to another and i'm a case in point example of that like this guy o'malley's got what five million followers on instagram (laughs) a huge platform high profile um and for a certain segment of the population they know everything about him but i'd never even heard of the guy and it just sort of illustrates how media has proliferated in such a way that it has created so many more pathways to becoming a celebrity. I mean, this guy's got talent in a sport. Like a lot of these folks don't, don't no, really have sure, a particular sure. talent and they can become famous in their own little ecosystem. Well, that, that's why this is cool. We talked about Jake Paul last week yeah. and, and Jake Paul has just done this from, he's famous for being famous and he keeps doing these yeah. like fame accentuating things. Sean O'Malley is famous because of how he acts and how he does his hair, but he's also famous because he's got the best right hand in the history of the bantamweight division. He is an elite fighter, so at least that part he's got figured out. It's, it's not just this sort of pleasantry like some of these other sort of uh, influencers. Yeah, are. he certainly backs it up. Like, there's right. a compelling story, and so his fame is, is uh, I'm not trying to say it's illegitimate, but it is definitely, like, cordoned off to a segment of the population. And it's just a, it's just a strange phenomena that you can be that white hot famous and still be unknown. You know, think about, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't really, there certainly weren't as many celebrities, right? but those celebrities were more broadly known. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's so much of that is the way that we consumed all of Absolutely. this stuff. There used to be way less channels on the TV and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Justin Engel joining us here on Nuanas Now. The other part about O'Malley is if the history of the UFC shows us anything, he better enjoy this while it lasts yeah, yeah. because the shelf life is just so small for these guys. You could be the biggest star in the promotion, and two years later, if you don't keep winning, you're you're gone. You're irrelevant. You're not even in the, in the UFC anymore. Yeah, there is – I think you put that well, a very short shelf life, probably similar to, you know, an NFL player. What is the, the tenure of an NFL running back is like a season right, and right. a half right. or something? Totally, right. Um, 
you know, and just the competing at that level, but also just the brutality of that sport. It's really hard to, to keep up that level of performance. Um, it's almost akin to like, you know, rock and roll bands and heavy metal bands. Like they became famous with sex, drugs and rock and roll. And then as soon as their flame caught, as soon as their, you know, star caught fire, right. they burned themselves right. out. No, it's so true. Uh, Speaking of fame, though, we talked about Patrick Mahomes and sort of his stardom a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Sports Illustrated power issue. Mm. But we were talking about Mahomes yesterday, too, because there's just so many things that go into sustained success in modern sports now, especially when you become truly pop culture famous. Mahomes is more than just NFL famous now. He's pop culture famous. He's so famous that people know about his brother and his wife and his life. And he did this documentary on Netflix that everybody watched. And so I just think that overexposure, we've seen the perils of that over and over and over again, whether it's Lance Armstrong or Tiger Woods or, you know, fill in the blank anywhere. But I also think there's so many factors that are, I know you've been watching quarterback. I think there's a lot of factors that go into why Mahomes might be sort of above this. I don't know if he is going to, I mean, nothing lasts forever. And this guy's not just going to win the next 15 Super Bowls. But barring like an injury or some sort of catastrophe, I really don't think that a lot of the other stuff that can be pitfalls for someone of this level of fame. I don't know if, if I'm not going to say he's impervious to all of it, but it doesn't, doesn't seem as, as big of a factor for him. Well, at least the character that is displayed in the quarterback series sure. seems like a pretty simple guy, a guy who is committed to his family and his community and, and playing football at a high level and a really good teammate. And just he just comes comes across as down to earth and genuine. And so those are probably attributes that will serve him well and will continue to serve him well as his career advances. The other piece of it, and you'd know more about this than I, but his games is 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 really risky. And you for see sure. that he trains specifically for the the style of play that he employs, but he throws it all out there on every given play. Yes. And you know, that's just the the numbers are not in his favor as far as durability goes in playing in that style. Now, he's probably a good enough athlete to adjust and adapt over time and we've seen that in some of the games where he's been injured. Um but yeah, this notion of overexposure, it, it doesn't appear that at least the current um, portrayal of Patrick Mahomes is not of a guy who seems tempted by the pitfalls of fame. Sure. You know, the hanging around with the wrong people and right. being distracted. That's the funniest part about the show is after every game, he's not going anywhere but home. Yeah, he's going hanging home. out with his buddies. Everybody comes over to his house, but they're not going out. They're not going to a restaurant or a club or anything like that. They're just going home. Yep. It seems pretty simple. <laughs> it seems pretty and, simple. And, you know, part of it, I wonder, too, because the series is is um, is produced by Peyton Manning. Yeah. And the three characters that they've they selected, Kurt Cousins and Marcus uh, Mariota, Marcus Mariota, yeah. they're all pretty like down to earth for sure. Basic dudes that are yeah, like right. going to the clubs and totally. you know, having bottle service at the table and all those sorts of things. And you wonder like, is that was that a tactical choice by Peyton Manning to for sure to kind of pursue stories of quarterbacks who pursued the game in the same way he did, not necessarily stylistically, sure. but sort of the the player ethic. Well, and, and as Coach Marty, Marty Mornoweg said uh, last time he was in, 
all the pitfalls that you got to worry about with young players in the NFL when it comes to the fame and the money, they happen in the offseason. Because during the season, I mean, you're required to be at the facility right, for like right. 13 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. Chances are on Monday, you probably can't walk because of the game that you just played in. Tuesday's your rehab day. Then Wednesday through Friday, you're getting ready for the next game. And then you got to go get in a car wreck again on Sunday over and over again. So, you know, I, I do think that there is a little, I mean, I, I do think it's genuine that these guys just go home during the year because I just think it's so busy. Yeah, that um, that rigor is kind of is 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 pretty well known. And you're right; they build out these guys' schedules and on so many dimensions, whether it's film study or supplemental training or rehab or game prep. Um, it, you know that that the 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 series does a really good job of getting into complexity yeah. of of the preparation that these guys For go sure. through. And you know, I, I get a little bit of an insight to that in my role on campus. You know, I sort of get to understand the constraints on the players as far as the, you know, all the different things they need to do outside of practice and how their time is, is pretty darn choreographed that, yeah, the opportunity to, I mean, the trade-offs become very clear. Like you're going to have to go out after curfew, take a big risk and probably not be able to perform the next day. Right. If you, if you, you, you indulging in some of that bad behavior is going to, have a pretty immediate cost, I would think, in the sport of professional football. Justin Engel in studio with us. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Um, last thing about Mahomes, I also think that he's got some stuff that really helps him when it comes to sort of not falling into the pitfalls. His father was a professional athlete, mm-hmm. so he's got a blueprint there. Yep. Um, I know a lot of people on social media and stuff think his wife is annoying, but she seems, but she certainly shows up for him. I, I do think that sort of stability helps you a lot. LeBron James's wife has been integral in his success yeah, and, as well. And Mahomes' wife was a college athlete. She's right. involved in professional athletics. They've herself. known each other forever, so it's, she's not just dating him because he's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. She knew Patrick Mahomes when he was in seventh grade, and right. you know I think that helps for sure. Uh, but more than anything, I think you see the institutional infrastructure that's provided as well. The Chiefs are paying this guy $60 million a year. Yeah. They're, they are going to do whatever it takes for him to succeed because they're making such a huge investment in him. And that comes from everything from the organization to Andy Reid to uh, the training and all the stuff he embarks on. And then I think there's the last factor is that he's in Kansas City. I think that that really has an influence as well. He's just in this Midwestern, you know, mid-sized market. He's not in Chicago or New York or L.A. Yeah, I mean, that certainly worked for Aaron Rodgers. Like, he was protected yep. from a lot of media scrutiny. Um, you know, and we'll see how it plays out with him in New York now. For at sure. a different stage of his career, for sure. But guys like that, guys like Brett Favre in these smaller markets, um, and arguably Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, although he had a, you know, a huge, uh, a, well, I don't know if he had a larger profile. It's Patrick Mahomes has already won as many Super Bowls, right? No, for right? sure, right? So, but I do think that kind of grounding protects you. And we've talked about this in this series many times, like how well run the NFL is relative to the other professional sports sure. franchises or uh, leagues. And part of that is how they protect their assets. That's not to say like there's been plenty of cases of NFL players going off the rails and, no doubt. and being you know given in to, to temptation and bad behavior and and whatnot. Um, but as you said, during the season, and if you're that high value, a player, particularly in a, in a, in a position like quarterback, where 
you just have to have command of, of such a, a vast array of, of, of knowledge um, and work so intimately with the coaches that, yeah, the opportunity to um, just the opportunities for foul play become so much fewer. Well, and that's the last thought that I had on this was that, first of all, Signing a multi a hundred hundreds of millions of dollar deal with the Los Angeles Lakers is a lot different than anything you could experience in the NFL just because of all of the different temptations that come with that, but also the exposure. Like, I guess what I'm saying is it's a lot more tempting if you're a Los Angeles Lakers player to go out to a Hollywood party than it is for Patrick Mahomes to go to any party that might happen after a Chiefs game on a Sunday in Kansas City. Uh, and and then there's this also the part where like I think you just said it perfectly Patrick Mahomes can't not be at his best on Sundays James Harden can show up and just play basketball man like I really do think James Harden goes out late night in the club he talks about it on his Instagram all the time right and guess what? He doesn't play until the seven o'clock two nights later, and he's gonna be fine. <laughs> He'll be ready to roll. Yeah, by the and there's time eighty-one there. games. There's right. eighty-one games, and, and all he's got to do is dribble. And I'm not demeaning the skill of James Harden or any other NBA player. Patrick Mahomes has to like basically ace what would be a graduate level course every weekend. James Harden can just shoot free throws and shoot threes and score twenty-five points. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some truth to that. The the basketball being a uh a simpler game in a way as far as the preparation goes and whether the game itself is simple or not relative to football, just think of the flow of the season. You got 81 games. You're playing a game like every other night, you know, three out of five nights. If you win 50 out of the 82, you're great. You're in the playoffs. And beyond that, like just the day-to-day flow, like a game itself is really, is really, it takes a big toll. And then, so what do you do the next day? If it's a game day, maybe you, you know, have a little bit of rehab, you have a walkthrough, a shoot around. There's just not much. There's a lot more time built in for recovery. Um, alone time, probably unstructured time for these athletes just because of the grueling, there's so much time of the season is put into the games itself. If if James Harden didn't come to shoot around or practice, it would be a story, but they couldn't do anything about it. Whoever he's playing yeah, for, they couldn't yeah. do anything about it. I'm, I'm like channeling Alvin, uh, 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 Alan Iverson in my head <laughs> exactly. that you talk about practice. Exactly, yeah. right? Whereas if Mahomes didn't show up to like a Tuesday film, that would be like a matter of national security. People would be freaking out about that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it, it says a lot about football in general. Uh, it's Duana's now the business angle. The no by, fun league. That's exactly right. Uh, on the NFL, though, Eric, so have you have you had a chance to see Hard Knocks? It's okay if the answer is no. I've watched a little bit of it, okay. not the recent season. Okay, so the what's going on with Hard Knocks right now is actually unprecedented. People are talking about the Jets for sure, and that that's to be expected. Sure. Anybody that's on Hard Knocks, you know, they're they're the team that's being talked about during the preseason. But the, the reason this is unprecedented is twofold. One, the 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 NFL franchise gets the choice to be on Hard Knocks or not, and this is the first time the NFL ever overrided a team. Robert Sala said, "We do not want to be on Hard Knocks." And the NFL said, "Too bad. Really, you're on Hard Knocks." Okay. So there's one part of it. Two, Hard Knocks is always. Like, when they're doing a team that has stars, they touch base on the stars early on, and then the whole rest of the series is about all the guys that are trying to make the roster. Right. It's all the walk-on type guys that are trying to fight their way, and you fall in love with these guys because they're these upstart stories, and then sometimes they become stars and yada, yada, yada. This is all about the stars. This thing's The whole thing's about Aaron Rodgers, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not going to say I'm surprised. Of course it is. But 
it's uh, it's just interesting that there's they've gone away from a formula that's worked for 23 years to a different formula, but I think more people than ever are watching it. Well, and and who knows? Like, how do you define what what works? Like, sure, you, say, right. you just said in the same sentence, like what works, and yeah, then more right. people than ever are watching no, it. Right, so right. they if they changed it up and it, and it's affected the ratings. So true. Um, the question is like, what is the durability of that model? Right. Right. And is the NFL about stars or is it about uh, role players and in team stories and whatnot? So going all in on a star, even somebody like Aaron Rodgers, yeah, it, it poses some risk, particularly this late in his career. He's probably not growing fan share, although maybe he's growing fans in New York. Another particularly interesting. Here, that, that, just, to, just touch on that point, though. I think that, again, this is just like with the, the quarterback thing. Yeah. It could all just be propaganda. Sure. Well, I mean, I think we need to assume it is. For sure. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is coming across a billion times cooler than anybody has portrayed him over the last several okay. years. Part of that has been his own fault. Yeah. I think most people that that don't like Aaron Rodgers, like pers- like his shtick that he's been doing the last couple of years, they just see that he's just been made it all about himself. I mm-hmm. mean, he goes about on Pat McAfee's show to talk about himself every week. Yeah. I think people get tired of that. But then you watch this and you're like, well, this guy's the coolest guy I've ever seen. Like, he's brilliantly smart. He's so funny. He's got connections with people all over the NFL. Every time they're practicing, he knows everybody, goes, says hi to everybody. I don't know, man. It's it's definitely changed my opinion about him quite a bit. And I, I don't think that you can have as long and successful a career as Aaron Rodgers had in a leadership role like quarterback without being a liked teammate. That's true. And, you, you, you know, People take shots at him for you know how what he says on the Pat McAfee show. Teammates don't take shots at him. That, that's right, right. You never hear I mean, teammates his, his, saying that he's selfish te- or he's not passing to me or whatever. Several of his teammates followed him to New York. Exactly. I mean, so, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb are both like, "Oh, well, I'm going to go with that guy." So I think that you know, in a lot of this stuff, you mentioned propaganda before. You got to separate signal from noise. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, and I think like you saw that a lot with a, an example of Tom Brady. Like his celebrity was portrayed in a certain way. Yep. But like. Players will renegotiate their contracts to play with him. And then maybe right. that's just because they want to get a ring. Who sure. knows? In the case of Aaron Rodgers, like, yeah, he's, he's you never hear players, teammates complaining about him. You never hear opposing players saying, you know, he's he's a cheap shot artist or anything like that or a dirty player or whatever. Like, he's got to be, chances are he's pretty well respected. And those are the signals that I think you give you probably more reliable insight into somebody's uh, personality and character. And I also think that... Uh, First of all, all good things come to an end. It was over multiple years ago in Green Bay, and I think yeah. I thought they just drug it out, and I think that hurt both sides of the narrative. Sure. They, they should have just, you know, started giving Jordan Love more and more reps and got ready for the future, and they should have just cut bait with Aaron Rodgers and not let. I mean, the drama of last season, Aaron Rodgers had to just drag the the yeah. otherwise pretty not very good Packers into the playoffs, and uh, so I don't know. I, I, I'm glad that it's over. I think the last dynamic here, though, too, is that. The Jets are an incredibly young team with an incredibly young coach. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the funniest part about this is they're interviewing Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and stuff. These guys are talking about when they first w- saw Aaron Rodgers win a Super yeah. Bowl. They were like 10 when right. he, when that was happening because they're like in their early 20s. Yep. So I, I do think there's different leadership styles, but I think that when now you're this regal old man who's been in the league for as long as these guys have even been alive – 
your leadership shifts a little bit. You got a, lot, a little bit different level of respect. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting too, as we see as athletes are playing later into their careers. And I think too, at, at the younger end, football's a little bit more controlled, but um, younger players getting into starting roles sooner than some of the major sports, like this overlap of generations seems much mm-hmm. more common. It's, it's not necessarily you know, ordinary, but it's much less uncommon than it was before. I mean, I think of like that novelty of Ken Griffey Sr. playing right. on with Ken Griffey Jr. That was like the old man and the kid. Right. And it seemed like it just sort of a, a, a freak of the actuarial table that had actually happened. But now it's it's seems like an ordinary thing and an interesting storyline to pay attention to. I mean, when LeBron James is approaching the point where not only could he maybe have the possibility to play with one of his sons, but also, he's certainly going to have a teammate sooner or later that was born after he's been in the NBA. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Tr- it's truly amazing. Last thing on this, and then we'll get you out of here. The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. So you got Aaron Rodgers, you got the Jets, you got this team with a ton of hype around it. They got some of the best young players in the league. Garrett Wilson was the offensive rookie of the year last year. Sauce Gardner was the defensive rookie of the year last year. Robert Saleh is coming off as an excellent coach in this. He, I think he's his... his uh, sort of steadfast nature is is pretty apparent in mm-hmm. this series. Is there any way that this could make the NFL even more popular? Like what sort of what sort of gain can they get from having this like superstar driven hard knocks this well, year? Well, you know, I, I think the question is less about hard knocks and more about how do the New York Jets do and how important to the NFL is it to have a team in New York performing at a really high level. Mm, good point. You know, it's 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 been when was the last time the Giants won the Super Bowl in the in the Eli it's, Manning it's, it's years? It's been a decade, uh, probably. Yeah, and I Maybe feel a little like bit longer. in that decade, the NFL sort of really kind of separated itself from the other leagues even more in terms of its just singular domination of professional sports market share. Yeah, and so it'd be it would be hard to do an analysis comparing you know, to, to really understand how important it is to the NFL to have a dominant team in a media market like New York. You know, it was one thing when the Rams won in LA recently that LA is not really a football town, right? You know, the jets are a storied franchise. New York is yes, such a sports town for sure. Um, and the part about that is so unique about the jets is the jets have not been actually really good since Joe Namath. Yeah, yeah, forever. But, but they, yeah, they've, they've only even ever been kind of good, and they still have one of the biggest fan bases in the, all of, of sports <laughs> because of where the, the boroughs that they cater to. And because, and like you're saying, New York people are just crazy for sports. And you want to know what New York people don't do? They don't change teams. They don't. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have that enduring loyalty. For sure. In, in spite of how the team does. And... You know, I don't know New York sports inside and out, but the it does seem like the Jets are more the New Yorkers team than the Giants. Yeah, and part of that sure. might be because Giants played in New Jersey right. for, for so long. Totally. And do the Jets play over there now? Well, so they they, yeah. they both share the Meadowlands. I'm actually not sure where we're at with that. Yeah. Uh, but either way, it, there's a whole bunch of cultural factors that go into this. Hundred percent. Noah is now ESPN Radio, the business angle presented uh, by Blackfoot Communications. Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor, uh, recording this on a Monday night. Uh, Thanks for coming in, man. This was a good one. Thank you.